Well, good morning, church. Uh, welcome again to Hawaii Kai uh, Church. We're so glad that you could join us here today uh, for worship. Uh, would you please open your Bibles uh, to the gospel according to Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, which can be found on page 877 in the Bibles that are under the seats. Uh, we're going to be continuing our study through the gospel according to Luke and focusing this morning on chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Again, that can be found on page 877 in the Bibles under your seats. Now, before we be read this passage, uh, would you please uh, bow your heads with me as we open our time in a word of prayer. King of heaven, we do ask that you would come here now and ask humbly, Lord, that you would meet with us and that through your word, you would speak to us, and that by the power of your Spirit, you would minister to our hearts. Help us, Lord. Help us, God, as we come before you to recognize who it is we are seated before, that truly you are the King of heaven. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to behold you in all of your beauty this morning. We can't do this on our own. We need your spirit to minister to us, and so we humbly ask that you would. Help us this morning, Lord. We look to you with great expectation and hope. We thank you and praise you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 15, says this. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. In our passage this morning, Jesus is going to give to us the answer to the most important question of life. And I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say this is the most important question in the whole wide world. How can a person enter the kingdom of God? What is required to go to heaven? And to help us understand this important truth, to make sure that the meaning is not lost, Luke purposefully places this story of the little children coming to Jesus. He places this story between, on one end, the parable of the law-abiding proud Pharisee that we learned about last week in Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. And on the other end, he's going to tell us the story of the rich ruler, which we'll learn about next week which comes in Luke chapter 18, verse 18 to 30. Luke puts this story of the little children smack dab between the Pharisee and the rich ruler to help us to understand the significance of what Jesus is teaching. You see, Luke is trying to help us to see the contrast between the self-reliant and the proud, those who believe that they can and have earned their way into heaven, these were the successful, rich, powerful Pharisees and Jewish rulers. And he contrasts these against the most helpless, the most humble, the weakest, the foolish of all people in society, which is a baby. 
an infant. And Jesus is saying that if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, then you must become like one of these, a child. The kingdom of God consists of the humble. That's the overview. Now let's look at this passage in a bit more detail. Look back with me again at verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. You know, our story opens with parents bringing their children to Jesus so that he might pray over them, touch them, and bless them. And the word Luke uses here is infant children. I mean, think Ryland Nienheist, uh, Emily and Tyler's little boy, who's just a few weeks old. Uh, these are the very, very little guys, the ones that spend most of their day wrapped up like burritos, barely able to move. All they do is sleep, eat, cry, and poop. These very little helpless infants, these are the ones that are being brought to Jesus in this story. Now, my understanding is that it was a very customary thing for Jewish parents to bring their little children to be blessed by the rabbis in the synagogue. Now, even though this was thousands of years ago, these parents were really no different from us. For as parents, we are always concerned for the future of our children, seeking a blessing on their lives. And as Christian parents who believe and realize that this life on earth is just a precursor to an eternity in either heaven or hell, well, with that kind of reality before us, as parents who love our children, we desire more than anything else in the whole wide world that our children would be saved and go to heaven. Isn't that right? More than anything else. We desire that our children would place their faith in Jesus Christ, that they would love him with all of their heart and follow him all the days of their lives so that they will one day spend eternity in heaven. That's our heart. And these Jewish parents were no different. And so even these parents, whom Luke doesn't even tell us whether they had faith in Jesus or not, these parents are bringing their children to Jesus so that he would pray a blessing over them. Parents, although this is not the main point of this passage, I think there is a lesson to be learned here. And I think it comes in the form of a question that we need to be asking ourselves today. How am I bringing my child to Jesus? Are you seeking Jesus or are you seeking something else to ensure a future blessing for your children? As parents, we all need to sometimes pause, just pause, and really think about this. How am I bringing my children to Jesus? Now, I know as well as you that we don't save our children. We can't save our children. And in just a moment, we're going to see uh, that our helplessness, it's our inability to save ourselves, let alone someone else, is the key point in this passage. We must realize that we are helpless and that God is the one who actually saves. But, as Pastor Kim Kira taught us in the parenting seminar a few months ago, as parents, even though we cannot save our kids, we must do everything we can to lead them and place them into the path of grace. And the way we place them in the path of grace is making sure they are constantly hearing the word of God, 
constantly reminding them of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they might see the beauty and the majesty of the Savior of the world. And doesn't this world need a Savior? Humanity is so lost and we can be so depraved and it doesn't even know it. It's trying to drag our children down the tubes with it, away from God, trying to mold them into self-centered, prideful, overconfident, narcissistic lovers of self, which is the exact opposite of what Jesus is teaching in our passage today. We are all, in reality, desperate and needy because we are all sinful We are dead in our sin, under the wrath of God, hopelessly lost, destined to hell, and there is not one thing we can do about it apart from Jesus Christ. This is what the Bible teaches. But the Word of God also teaches the good news, the gospel, that God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son to the cross so that He might die there, so that His Son could take the punishment for our sins upon himself. Jesus took the wrath of God against our sin and made him pay the penalty, pay the price for us. But it doesn't end there. In order for Jesus' sacrificial death to apply to us, we must humble ourselves, become like needy, helpless children, acknowledge that we are sinners, repent of our sinful life, and have faith and believe that Jesus' death on the cross forever washes me clean from my sin. This is ultimately what Jesus is trying to help us see in our passage today. And so this is what we need to be teaching our children if we are to bring them to Jesus. And the only place that they are going to hear this message is from you as their parent and from their church. They're not going to hear this message in their secular schools or on their sports teams or in their social media. They need to hear this from us, their parents, and see this truth reinforced regularly every week in the life of their church family. Now, this is one of the practical reasons why at Hawaii Kai Church, we will always stress the importance of being in church regularly. From a purely pragmatic point of view, we are fighting an uphill battle. Our society, our culture is teaching us, tempting us and our children to live in a way completely opposite to what the Bible teaches. But this is nothing new. The world, Satan, the weakness of our own flesh has from the very beginning opposed the ways of God. Hence, the need for us to make it a priority to keep God and his word ever present before our children. You know, when the Israelites were about to enter the land of Canaan, which, is filled, which was filled with pagan worship, and there were a multitude of different temptations that would pull the Israelites away from God, What does Moses tell the Israelites to do? How does he prepare them to face all of these temptations? Well, listen to what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." When faced with the threat of huge temptations to abandon God, to worship idols, to follow after the world, Moses impresses upon the people of God to keep the word of God ever present before you and before your children. It is the word of God that must always be on our hearts and must continually be taught to our children. And in the context of our passage this morning, this means to take every opportunity to bring your children to Jesus. Teach them that the kingdom of God belongs to the humble, to the needy, and to the helpless. Now I know that there are those of you who have diligently taught your children the word of God and have raised them up in the church and have been praying and praying and praying for them for many years only to have them still reject their Savior. And my heart breaks for you. But remember, we do not save our children. We cannot save our children. Ultimately, the decision for faith is theirs and theirs alone. And it is up to God to elect and call his people to himself. None of us can make our children love God. All we can do is bring them to Jesus, making sure they are constantly hearing the word of God from you in church, in Sunday school, in Owana, in VBS, in the preteen ministry, in youth group. Bring your children to God. Put them at every opportunity into the path of grace and then let God's word, let his spirit work in the lives of your children. Now, I think many, if not most of us in this room, would agree with that. But sometimes, for whatever reason, we lose sight of what the kingdom of God is really all about. We disregard or we forget the teaching of our Lord, and we begin to have shifting priorities. And I think this is what we see happening in our passage today, even with Jesus' own disciples. You see, they didn't understand the nature of the kingdom of God. And even though they lived with him, they didn't fully understand the heart and the ways of Jesus. And we see this played out in our passage this morning. For rather than welcoming the parents and their children to Jesus, the disciples instead rebuked them, trying to chase them away. It's as if they were saying, don't bother the master. He doesn't have time for such insignificant and unimportant children. They didn't fully understand Jesus or the kingdom of God. And so the disciples again responded foolishly, which was not uncommon for them. And so Jesus had to once again set them straight. Look at verse 16. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now in Mark's gospel, we are told this same, in this same instance that when the disciples rebuked the parents, Mark says that Jesus was indignant, which means that he was aggrieved. He was angry. There was a righteous anger that the disciples would try to prevent these little infant children from coming to him. 
And the reason I think Jesus felt so strongly about this was because the disciples, in their attempt to turn away the helpless, insignificant children, were missing a very fundamental truth about the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God belongs not to the proud, to the accomplished, to the self-righteous, to those who could earn it or who were worthy of it, but rather it belongs to the helpless and the dependent and the needy, those who will receive it with childlike faith. We cannot enter the kingdom of God through our own understanding, through our own wisdom, through our own good works. We can only enter the kingdom of God if we recognize our helpless state, looking to Jesus and to his grace alone. The defining characteristic of these little children is not their innocence, it's not their sweetness or their inherent goodness. The defining characteristic of these infants is their helplessness. And the disciples should have known this, or at least it should have, uh, they should have been used to this. For this was a key aspect in much of Jesus' ministry and teaching. Jesus was constantly, constantly reaching out to the outcasts of society, those who everyone else rejected, disregarded, considered unimportant and insignificant, the poor, the blind, the deaf, the mute, the terminally ill, the lepers, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the demon-possessed. Jesus sought them out. He went to them, he ate with them, he touched them, and he healed them because those are the people who had nothing left to prove. They had nothing to offer to God. They were already in a state of utter helplessness and dependence. And so these were the ones who were the closest to the kingdom of God. You know, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now, I think most people in the world they don't believe or consider themselves or they don't want to accept that they are weak and foolish and low and helpless and despised. Rather, uh, we all want to be or at least want to appear to, to someone as being smart and capable and strong and important and well-liked. I mean, isn't that what our social media accounts are all about and focused on? We try to promote about ourselves only the best of who we are. But this kind of self-promotion, self-love, self-indulgence, self-centeredness is the exact opposite of what should characterize a citizen of the kingdom of God. If we are going to enter into God's kingdom, we need to recognize and acknowledge who we truly are. We need to be like the outcast tax collector in last, last week's sermon who realized that his wealth, his influence meant nothing. Instead, he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but simply beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. By God's grace, this tax collector came to a place where he finally realized 
that he was truly desperate, helpless, and weak. In other words, he became like a scared, hurt, helpless child. And he ran with complete, utter abandon. And he threw himself headlong into the merciful arms of God where he found mercy, grace, and healing and was ultimately justified before God. You know, when a little child gets scared or is hurt, what do they immediately do? They cry out for mom or dad. And if they can, they run to them as fast as their little legs will carry them. Why? Because they inherently know that they are helpless and weak and that they don't know what else to do except to believe, they believe with all their heart that there is safety and comfort in the arms of their parents. And I'm not extolling this as a virtue of children. We're talking about the instinctual trust of a child based on the reality of their helplessness. And when we think of a helpless, scared child, do they just run to any adult who is bigger and stronger than they are? No. They will zig and they will zag their way through a throng of adults until they reach their own parents. And they do this because they trust those individuals that they call mom and dad. Now, I know I've told you this story before, but I'm going to repeat it because it does make a point. When my daughter Katie was a little girl, when she was maybe four years old, uh, she was eating peanut butter off of a spoon. And what do we always tell our kids when they have something like a spoon in their mouths? Don't run. Well, she was playing and she was running. And sure enough, she falls. She hits the spoon on the floor and suddenly there is a big bleeding cut all the way in the back of her mouth. And of course, she is screaming and she is crying. And so I take her to the emergency room and I'm just cringing as I'm watching the doctor and the nurses as they're trying to calm her down to help her to open her mouth so that they can put stitches in. I'm watching this, and I know that I wouldn't want to go through this myself, and so it's literally, literally painful for me as I watch my four-year-old baby girl have to endure this. Well, after many unsuccessful, uh, unsuccessful attempts to have Katie open her mouth and stop crying, the doctor finally turns to me and he says, Dad, you're going to have to hold her down and make her open her mouth. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you're the trained professional. <laughs> You know, but even if he was the trained professional, I was Katie's dad. And so I remember bending over the table and, and, and just hugging her tight, and I looked into her terrified eyes, and I said something like, Katie, you need to open your mouth for the doctor so he can help you. And you know what? She opened her mouth. And the doctor gave her some shots in her mouth to numb it, and that hurt, so she cried and cried again, but she never closed her mouth. Now, you might be led to believe that I have some innate way with children, a persuasive power, like I'm the child whisperer. I have none of that. It was simply the trust of a child with her dad. She trusted me. In spite of her pain and her fear, she believed and she obeyed. And because she did, she was healed. 
And I think this is what Jesus is showing the disciples that day. You need to become like a helpless child in the way that you believe and trust in your heavenly Father. This is what true saving faith is, as it says in Hebrews 11, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Like children running to their parents and trusting whatever they say is right and good, we need to approach God with this same childlike faith, In spite of your pain, in spite of your fear, in spite of your doubts and your helplessness, you need to run to God, believing that he's there and trusting and obeying him, that he rewards all those who seek him. We need to obey God. We need to trust him. And as a result, the kingdom of God becomes yours. And so Jesus is telling us, do not hinder the children from coming to me, for to such belongs the kingdom. But the opposite is also true. Look again at verse 17. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. When we come to God with prideful self-assurance, like the Pharisee we learned about last week, believing that because of my education, because of my experience, because of my position, because of my wealth, because I live a relatively moral and good life where I'm not as evil as all those other people, as long as we puff ourselves up to think more highly of ourselves than we ought, and that all my accomplishments, all of my good deeds are what earns me a right to enter the kingdom of heaven, then rest assured, according to Jesus' own words, you shall not enter it. The kingdom of God is not about you and your accomplishments and how good you are. The kingdom of God is all about Jesus Christ. But as long as we continue to elevate ourselves, as long as our focus is on me, myself, and I, and all my glory, and how wonderful I am, we will never see, nor will we ever understand our need for a Savior. This is why Paul tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians that the word of the cross, the gospel, is foolishness to those who are perishing. For where there is no sin, there is no need of forgiveness. And so we, we must become like helpless children with a childlike faith that recognizes our desperate need for a Savior. And we must teach this to our children as well. Bring them to Jesus Christ so that they too might be saved. Now, an implication of all of this and the way that we'll conclude today's sermon is with this thought. If childlike faith is required for entry, then childlike faith must continue on even as we live within the kingdom of God. Our recognition of our helplessness, our weakness, and our total dependence upon God doesn't go away once we become Christians. Rather, this childlike faith should be increasing as we grow in maturity in Christ. For as we get closer to Jesus, as we begin to realize more and more how great he truly is, we will also realize how truly weak 
we actually are. He must become more and more and more, and we must become less and less and less. John the Baptist said in John chapter 3, he must increase, I must decrease. There can be only one who sits on the throne, and it must be Jesus. And the more we realize just how great Jesus truly is, and just how weak we truly are, the more childlike and dependent our faith becomes. We learn to trust Him, and we learn to run to Him for everything. As we grow in Christ, we start to truly understand Jesus' words in John 15 when He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As you abide with Christ, as you remain in him, as you are growing in him, as you are obeying his word, Jesus says you will bear much fruit because it will be him working in and through you and not yourself. And as you watch Jesus do this, as you experience this firsthand, you will gain an increasing childlike dependence upon him as it becomes more and more real to you that apart from Jesus, truly, you can do nothing. We need Jesus for salvation, and we need Jesus for life. So come to Jesus. Trust in him completely with humble, childlike faith. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Please pray with me. Father, again, we thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us in Christ. And Lord, even as we have heard in your word today, God, I pray that you would continue to help us to recognize, to realize our desperate need for you. That in reality, Lord, we are all like little children. We cannot help ourselves. As much as we would like to think that we can, as much as the world would tell us that we are something when we're not, Lord, help us to understand the truth of your word, the reality of it, and help us to turn to you Help us to run to you, Lord. Help us to go to your arms and recognize once again that it is there that we are safe. Father, I do pray for each person within this room that by your spirit, you would continue to work in our hearts, continue to draw us closer to yourself, continue to reveal more to us of who you are so that we might truly see you, Lord that we might truly understand you, Jesus Christ, in all of your glory. We thank you and we praise you for this time. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.